0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24 7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is with me. We both are writers over at the Michigan Insider.com, Michigan.247 Sports.com. Uh, episode 103, I believe. Where we're discussing Michigan's win over Army. It was a double overtime, 24 21 nail biter. Michigan did not have a lead until the final, uh, until second overtime. It took them. More than four quarters of play to get a lead over Black Knights. Michigan is 2-0, but certainly, as we'll discuss, uh, some major, major questions raised. Major uh, either questions or concerns. They do have a bye week. They have 12 days to figure it out. We'll talk a little bit about some of those concerns and more. For those that are new to our post-game coverage or post-game podcast, we're trying a format out. We heard mostly good things, so feel free to weigh in if you did not. Like this, but we're doing two game balls, four takeaways that are sticking with us. Trying to come up with some stuff other than the obvious, but before lasting thoughts and then seven questions. I forgot to ask the questions on Twitter this week, so I came up with some. I tried to look online at other, uh, you know, different Twitter threads and things and see what what are some commonly uh, believed questions, and so we'll pass those on. Uh, but anyway, first starting with the game ball. Steve, I I'm going to go first cuz I think there was one one that felt extremely obvious to me. Um Aiden Hutchinson, defensive end, ended up having a having a big numbers game. He led the team. He had a t- uh, one and a half tackles for loss, obviously the big half sack at the end, forced fumble. Uh that was huge. That was big time. I, th- I believe he had a nice defensive stop the play before. To me, that's that's a gamer. When when you know your defense needs to do kind of the impossible which is shut a team out in overtime you know when they when they're 25 yards away I don't know what the statistical odds of a score are but they're they've got to be pretty high and they need a stop you know they 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 cannot give up a touchdown or they lose and and the season suddenly is completely in the balance and I felt like he did a really nice job there I felt like there were a few plays you know in the in the Michigan needs a stop here category that Aiden Hutchinson just really stepped up. Uh, I think so far he's been may, maybe not quite my defensive MVP of the first two games. I, I think I might actually give that one to Jordan Glasgow. I'm, I'm very surprised to say that, but I think he gets my nod there, but Hutchinson's got to be number two, if if not number one, because he is just, he's he's everything Michigan needed from defensive end. He's, he's got that star power, but he also has that gamer grit. It just seems like he shows up when Michigan needs him most. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to keep trying to find ways to maximize what he can do. It was a little tough against Middle Tennessee and and Army. They both kind of they do a lot of work in the flats. They you know that'd be a be a good game for maybe a faster, smaller defensive player to be successful. It's not as much about the size and the strength. Uh, so I'm curious to see what he looks like all season, but really promising start for him Steve who's your who's your game ball uh I gotta go with
1: charbonnet yeah I mean <clears throat> amazing to think that we're sitting here and and he's been their best offensive player through two games I mean he's led him in total yards both games he has one less catch than Nico Collins uh mm. really <laughs> really he carried that's from I I read that I must say that uh, I uh, Brian cook at Mgo blog pointed that out in his column today I always like to read what Brian has to say. Thought that yeah. was a pretty noteworthy, you know, again it's only through two games but still very very noteworthy in my opinion. But really, I mean, he practically carried Michigan's offense on his back throughout this game. I mean, that's we've we've had high expectations for him the whole, you know, basically since he was recruited and committed to Michigan, mm-hmm. but I didn't I don't think anybody saw it wasn't even, you know, the statistical output. I guess when you break it down, carry by carry, is is not something that's going to like blow your mind. But if you watched the game and saw how he got those yards, you can't help but be, I don't know. I mean, duly impressed with everything that he's done. So he gets my game ball. I mean, he scored all three touchdowns. So it's kind yeah, of yeah. It's know, hard not to give I, him a game ball. Well, yeah. that's yeah. That's, I mean, and I, but it's not even. It's it's more than that, though. It's I don't feel like a you know the touchdowns do tell a major part of the story but not the whole story though i mean he's the one 35
0: them in touches
1: yeah that's crazy for a guy in his second game who an early enrollee who didn't even participate in spring ball so no big start for him and and really you know in in a way that that's a best case scenario as far as you know you can trust this guy now and you actually have something at back you know so provided the rest of the offense gets things going and things start clicking the way that we expect them to it's it's probably it's more comforting no no now knowing for michigan that you have a guy like that that can get you those tough yards when you need them i mean that's again not trying to put uh, put a positive spin on the offense as a whole but again i mean that was the biggest question going into the season was what would they get at running back and now it looks like they have a clear number 1 guy who could be one of the better backs in the conference this season if he keeps it up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, it's it's easy to kind of look at the efficiency, he only averaged like what 3 yards a carry, but what I noticed and there was some fatigue in the fourth quarter. I think there were some some plays where whether it was blocking or running cuz we can talk about the impact he's made running, but he was once again Really solid as a pass blocker. I mean, this is, you know, he's he's really something else. And I, I think Michigan fans, you know, they're, they're, he's going to play for a couple more years for Michigan. But I hope that they appreciate what he brings, and I hope that they take a chance throughout the season, maybe to watch not just the score and what, where the ball's going, but see see Charbonnet because it was it was fascinating talking to him today, Monday. We got him for a press conference. First time. Well, he was available Saturday, but that was in a post game podium deal. It wasn't quite the same. Got to actually get a little bit closer to him today. And it's just hearing hearing how he struck up this relationship with Ben Mason, you know, his where his work ethic comes from. Uh it's you know, we'll have plenty more on it, but it it's really they've got a star. You know, they've got They've got Ben Mason's work ethic. He's got Ben Mason's work ethic and strength, and he's got top 50 running back talent. You know, that that's, as you said, going before these two games happened, it was all, what are they going to get at running back? Are they going to have a good enough running back core? They got a great number one. The bigger question is who's next, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah, Charbonnet, probably, he was the second one on my list behind Hutchinson. Uh, four lasting thoughts I'll go back to the defense because, in addition to Hutchinson, felt like Josh Uche played really well. Felt like Josh Ross played really well in the first half. Uh, Don Brown today really, really wanted to shout out Jordan Anthony for coming in because Josh Ross, I guess, got a got a stinger, uh, but it was like a bad stinger. Because sometimes stingers you get, they get better, but apparently this one was not good enough for him to play in the second half. Jordan Anthony steps in really for the first time in his career, and. Captains that defense as as a middle linebacker, uh, you know, really felt like the defense had a great game, and I'm sure that wasn't the takeaway when Michigan barely survives, you know, and allows 21 points, but they held held Army to about three yards a, a play to just 200 rushing yards for a team that lives to run the football. I think they did a really nice job, you know, and and both or two of the touchdowns were were off turnovers they pitched a shutout in the second half. I really think the defense uh they passed a bigger test than people realize to hear Don Brown today talk about the intricacies and and kind of just that even that one sequence the goal line stand where Lavert Hill got the interception you know he's talking about like five or six guys are are coming out of nowhere putting their entire um you know, not their bodies on the line. That's just the game of football. But but really doing extra level plays. You know, Jordan Glasgow providing that hit on Hopkins. Hopkins was ready to lean into the end zone. He he really had his feet in the right spot, and Glasgow denied him and pushed him sideways. That might have saved Michigan's season because if if that play isn't there, it's it's twenty one seven, and Michigan's in a in a world of trouble. And Army's able to just completely run out the clock. And so so I really think my, my takeaway as I wrote it down was Michigan's defense passed a bigger test than people realized. And it's not, you know, Army does not they don't, they don't score fifty points a game. It's not a high flying offense like Ohio State's or apparently Maryland's or Penn State's. But the the intricacies, the having to play so differently. You know, Carlo Kemp deserved, I think Don Brown said that he received, uh, 22 low blocks in that game, you know, below his knees. And so, I mean, yeah, they practiced this since January and that's, that's a part of it, but felt like they felt like they found something with their defense. feel like the, that was, you know, week one was so, so I feel like week two, they really hit their stride and kind of. You know, some of the new faces, some of the new players, I think they really found some confidence. And they found some, okay, this is what it's like. And so, not that that was the number one takeaway from the game. I've already written about the offense plenty. But just the lasting one as we as we are a couple days removed from the game, that's something that's still sticking out to me. Steve, what's sticking out to you?
1: Oh, we can talk about the offense now. I Let's mean. do it. <laughs> um. Yeah, so we talked a little bit before we got on. I was a little surprised, and you you had said going back over the transcript and hearing the audio that maybe Jim was a little guarded about the situation. Um, but I was a little surprised to hear Gaddis say that Patterson was not a hundred percent after Harbaugh maybe said or implied that Patterson was a hundred percent. When watching the game, it didn't. It was unclear. I mean, I know he went down with the cramp. Or whatever that was, I believe it was the early fourth quarter or so on that quarterback keep, where he kind of inconspicuously went down, and I think McCaffrey came in for a couple plays. Um, you know that was kind of the mystery when watching the game. You know, I know this is these are points that maybe many have read or heard at this point. I know we've written about it. Uh, just still can't figure out. You know, with the zone read stuff, it's not even so much about making the right choice as far as what's going to gain the most yards. I mean, you have to mix it up regardless at some point. And, you know, it got to a point where Army was not respecting the keep and whereas they crashed and crashed and crashed the entire game. And, you know, that's why not too concerned about the offensive line necessarily. I mean, they were facing a stuffed box for the vast majority of the game. Now, there were some instances where army did do a good job of keeping a guy out on the edge in case there was a keep but there were four or five legitimate plays where i cannot fathom how it was not kept and again whether that was by i just cannot believe that that would have been by design and i think gaddis even maybe hinted that it would not have been by design earlier today mm-hmm. you know and so that's what we said is like there's this like the mystery is really to me more about is patterson you know, more injured than maybe he led the staff on. It just he because he did not look right, you know, uh, at least in this far when you get into the fourth quarter in overtime. You know, we talked about that overtime drive where, you know, he sailed one to Collins, had him wide open for a touchdown, then made two of his really his poorest throws of the game uh to Tariq Black on second and third down there that uh forced Moody to kick the field goal. Right. You know, and it, but earlier in the game though, it was like he made some really good throws it was just an mm-hmm. it was it was honestly as from what i can remember is the oddest game i can remember from a michigan quarterback as far as there being so many random questions about the performance was he healthy was he not seeing the read on the outside uh you know it's just it was just a mysterious performance you know mixed in with again with some some great throws and some some good decision making i still think maybe you'd agree I still think he's a little too quick to get rid of the ball in certain instances, and I also think he, there, it's weird. That there, there seems to be a lack of balance sometimes wherein he's either throwing it a little bit too early when there's a little bit of pressure coming in or he hangs onto the ball too late. Um, Seemed like a lot of the best throws he made were really when the offensive line gave him an exorbitant amount of time to yeah. throw the ball. <laughs> and, you know, again, but... Um, most college quarterbacks are going to be able to make those kind of throws. That's, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a given, you know, it's really, you got to be the guy that steps up and makes great throws maybe in the face of a little bit of pressure or, you know, in a clutch type situation. So it was his game to me was just a, a, it was fascinating to kind of go back and watch and see and try to like figure out what, what was going on, you know, and uh, not all negative necessarily, But a lot of questions and and something that they're going to have to get figured out before Wisconsin was. I I go back to this. The only thing I'll go back to this. He was almost flawless against Middle Tennessee State until he went down Mm -hmm. that first time, was was throwing ropes, was finding the right guy. And and it kind of just feels like since then there's been a little bit of a difference as far as consistently throwing the ball to the right guy at the right time it just seems like something's a little bit off. So, I mean, if you're a Michigan fan, I think you cross your fingers and hope that, you know, maybe he just wasn't a hundred percent and that he'll be fine when they, by the time they get to uh, Madison, what in like 11, 12 days or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. yep. just an odd, odd performance for me.
0: He didn't look himself. We'll talk about that. Oh, I, I, one of the questions that I wrote uh, is, is related to that. I, I agree with everything you said though, kind of a, a bizarre game for Patterson, and kind of a bizarre last three halves. Three halves, you know, going back to the Middle Tennessee game where he, he just doesn't look comfortable. Uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily look incapable. It's just, as you said, kind of just the decisions. Uh, so we'll talk about that in a moment. Another thing that stood out to me, again, I've, I've probably – you know, there's a lot of offensive related questions. This one's more team based. I try not to be too hyperbolic in my coverage of Michigan. I really am trying to think if there was a more important two week stretch of Jim Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan than than what's coming now. Yeah, you, know, you could you could argue the the fall camps before the Notre Dame game might be up there. Uh, when they play, Whenever they play Ohio State, it's probably more important. But right now, if they're looking at their final 10 games, Michigan, Michigan has three games in the next three months that are not against top 21 teams. Because suddenly Maryland looks like a top 25 team, and they're ranked 21 in the polls. Iowa, Michigan State are still in the top 20. Wisconsin's still in the top 20. Notre Dame and Ohio State are in the top 10. Penn State's in there as well. And they have so many issues, not just that need to be corrected, because in 2017 they had issues, but they were kind of like, well, this team's just not good at this and not good at that. There's, this is stuff that, that can be corrected. And so if Jim Harbaugh and, and his staff can can get stuff figured out, then they can answer a lot of those questions. But I think there were more questions than people expected there to be two weeks into the season. I think that can be justified by the fact that Michigan is what 40 points below the spread right now and so uh, through through two games but things like turnovers last year they fumbled it three times they fumbled it three times in the first 22 minutes of Saturday's game and they had they had turnovers against Middle Tennessee you know suddenly I mean you could look at really every position except maybe cornerback and there's a serious red flag going on. Even running back. We'll talk about that in a moment. But every single position's got you know, they enter this bye week and and it is a really well set up bye week. If they were if they were going to Wisconsin this Saturday, I don't I don't think I would go in there expecting Michigan to win at all. But I think the fact that they do get an extra week, maybe there's a return to health, and maybe the offense can develop further. I think that there's a there's a fantastic opportunity for Michigan, but man, 10, 10 remaining games, seven of them against top 21 teams. I, I really can't think of, you know, this is, this is the, this is a major, major stretch where everything Michigan does will be judged and, and will be, I mean, it's going to show if, if Jim Harbaugh has, if he's you know a top 5 coach that many believe that he he is or could be it'll show because they'll come out and they'll look completely different or they'll look vastly improved I, they'll look roughly the same just maybe more fine tuned and if he's overrated as many nationally suggest i think that'll show too because this is not a team that should be necessarily struggling you know more than 2 or 3 times this season in year 5 with all of his players with presumably the right pieces at all the right positions you know you, it's not a perfect team it's college football you always have losses you always have deficiencies so unless you're Clemson or Alabama they're you know you're going to you're going to have hiccups but yeah this is a very critical 12 days and and you know, again trying not trying not to overstate it but it kind of i feel like it kind of defines the season Whatever happens now, because we've seen what works, what doesn't work. And all these teams are looking really good. And so it's on Michigan to rise to the occasion. Steve, what's your second lasting thought?
1: Uh, just pretty short, but I, I'd just say <clears throat> sort of along the lines of what you're saying, but more I think that, yeah, I think looking back, you know, let's say in November, December, looking back at the season, yeah, I think this game against Army will really maybe be what they'll be kind of be the game that is looked back as the turning point, regardless of how this season turns Mm -hmm. out. You know, if, if they, if they don't do, they don't accomplish any of their goals. I think people will look back at this game and say, see, this is when it was became clear that Michigan was not what we maybe thought they would be this year. And if they do turn it around and and get things figured out, I think people look back at this game and say, "Yeah, this is the game where Michigan kind of woke up a little bit." Um, Again, it's clear. Here's the thing: we totally undersold Army too, and I'm not using that as like some kind of excuse or or, outside, you know, reasoning to you know try to delegitimize the criticism that Michigan's getting after this game. But it's clear that Army's a tough to team to pre- it's really there, they're tough to prepare for. I know you look back. I know Lincoln Riley said the same thing that they'll never play at a service, they'll never play a service academy again. <laughs> at Oklahoma, Urban Meyer said the same thing after Navy nearly beat Ohio State in 2014. You know, it's these teams do get the when these teams are of quality, yes. their style gives other their their style gives your your good football teams good programs a lot of problem. You know, and so Again, not discounting the issues that we've kind of already talked about as far as how Michigan looked offensively, especially. Uh, but this is not some pushover team either that Michigan beat. You know, it's like Penn State, Wisconsin are are beating these garbage teams, and I think are getting a little bit too much of a pat on the back for some performing. I mean, Central Michigan went one and eleven last year. I mean, did you really think that they were going to give Wisconsin any kind of challenge on Saturday? <laughs> um, as good as they looked, I get it. But you know what I'm saying is, you yeah. know, I just, I would say, but again, my biggest point is I think looking, we'll look back and say that this game, you know, kind of probably what Oklahoma fans probably said at the end of the year last year, I'm sure there are a lot of people in their market or, you know, their fan base that were down about their chances last year after watching that game. So, um, seems like there may be more parallels between those two teams. Uh, than maybe we first thought, as far as Army just being capable of pulling off one of these upsets at any given night against a a really good football team.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is the stat they haven't beaten a ranked team Army since uh, in 47 years. So it is kind. But I think the distinction is that this is supposed to be Army's best team in 47 years. So it's 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 one thing when you're facing Air Force in 2017 because that's a good argument, Michigan. Beat Air Force relatively handily in 2017. You saw Ar- Ohio State. Uh, I want to say three years ago beat Army 45 to seven, and technically Duke beat Army last year by 20. But it's it's it, it, that's a little short sighted to, and maybe that's the, we kind of did the same thing last week. But it's we did. We, it's we, a little we were, yeah
1: yeah we misread. We I, we did we undersold Army. Completely. Again, I don't think we foresaw the ineptitude offensively from Michigan, obviously. And I think mm-hmm. that's why our predictions were because really, I mean, was it twenty one? So fourteen. We I think I thirteen was what I predicted Army to score anyway, and they had fourteen in regulation. Um but you know, but again, and
0: yeah. No, go ahead. And if if the Metellus touchdown counts if right i mean if if michigan scores on the first drive which it sure looked like they were going to i mean that was maybe the best drive michigan had all game before the sack fumble and michigan has a 21-7 lead army are they not are they unable to run out the clock in the same way are they passing are they are they the ones pressing so well that's not not me justifying yeah
1: that's what we talked about. Remember is we thought if Michigan get up get off to a good start, then army would have an, it'd be almost impossible for army to, you know, and to make it a game. And that's where the mistakes come in. And then that's where, you know, and that's how this, you know, it was one of those games. I think you knew at halftime, no matter what, it was going to be a game because it was just, you give a team like that a little bit of breathing room or or a little bit of belief and you're going to get their best football, you know, for the second half. And, Yeah, I mean, the Metellus play actually—you know—again, nobody really wants to talk about that because, again, I feel like it's excuse. But that, you know, if that call's made properly the first time, that it could have been a completely different game, really. So, but again, doesn't change anything we saw offensively, you know, because that would have been a defensive touchdown anyway. So, um, Mm -hmm. I still think I still think we'd have a lot of room to be talking about how far Michigan has to go, you know, even if maybe, yeah, if Patterson's throwed a bell, you know, which would have been a walk-in six or or the Metellus plays called properly, you know, it doesn't take away from a lot of the other stuff that we saw.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're not, we don't have hoses in hand. We're not putting out fires here. It's just, just noting that, that, you know, that's, that's how football works. Sometimes a play bounces the, the wrong way or the whistle blows a little too early and, and it does change the complexion. It's not like basketball where both teams just kind of score and score and score. You know, it's there's there's like five or six key plays throughout a game. And if they bounce the wrong way, you're in more of a dogfight than you thought. It reminded me a lot of the Northwestern game last year, which you could argue, well, Michigan's supposed to look a little bit better than last year. That's fair. And Northwestern was on the road to a Big Ten team, whereas this was at home against a service academy team. But it was the same kind of thing where... Like in the first 15, 20 minutes, everything seemed to bounce the wrong way for Michigan. And then they slowly came back, uh, you could argue maybe too slowly. (laughs) We'll discuss that in some of these questions. But um, actually, let's just jump into the questions. Uh, First one I had, I know we kind of discussed it with injury uh, with Shea Patterson. But the question – and again, I tried to go and look at different fan forums or Twitter and see – what kind of questions people were asking or things people were discussing. Is Shea rattled? Uh, and so, you know, I'm not I'm not so sure on the injury. I, I think there's, there's got to be something. There's no way Josh Gaddis says that. If there isn't something, I, I understand that Harbaugh said he felt like Shea was 100%. I, I, I think he might have maybe said that to not make it sound like they're playing Shea hurt because he, you know, shay made a lot of good plays and i I look, I look at that second half drive where they scored a touchdown i think he was uh he completed three passes for 44 yards in that drive two of them on third downs they they you know he drew a pass interference as well you know he there were times where he looked good but the lack of running is just bizarre to me i think he i think through two games he has 59 yard rushing 59 yards rushing on 12 carries and Gaddis said that he got banged up on the first play of the middle Tennessee game. I I'm inclined to believe it, because I, I think you know, we've we've made sure made clear that we do not see him as Johnny Menzel and we do not see him as a dual threat quarterback. But twelve designed runs, twelve non sack runs, that's that's pretty low. That's that I mean, really, that's quite low, especially given how often they were doing you know, read-run, read-option type plays. Uh, you think you think there's anything non-injury, though, as far as his mental, you know, do you think maybe the fumbles psyched him out a little bit in this game? Because with running backs, you, you take them out for a couple series or a quarter, and you say, hey, you need to think about that fumble. But quarterback, I mean, they can't take Shea out. It's not the same. And so when he has, I think he had, he only lost three fumbles so far. But there were a couple additional times where he fumbled the ball. Do you think that got to him a little bit? Do you think there was a hit that maybe got to him? Did he seem rattled to you in the second half? And that's, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of
1: the, like I said. That's when watching, the, rewatching the game. That's kind of the million dollar question. I, I'm again given what Gaddis said. Now I am more inclined to believe that he's not at 100. percent I mean, mm-hmm. the it's like you said, only 12 design runs. It's one thing to say only 12 design runs. It's another to say only 12 design runs when you saw the lanes that he had in certain situations. You know, it wasn't as if they were uh, that his his design runs have been forced or anything it's on those uh, like four or five of those read option type plays he had why i mean there was the one play he could have probably just based on the way that where the defense was standing by the t- when he went to make the handoff i mean you had Nico Collins on the outside and there was only one defender that would have been anywhere in the area i mean that's a, at least 15 yards free 15 yards a stress free 15 yards in my opinion at least the way the play was breaking down so you know, I, I don't know. I don't think he's. I don't think anything happened in the game that like had okay. him rattled necessarily. You know, the both of the fumbles were basically were off of pressure. Now the one First was, one was on,
0: more on him.
1: Absolutely. You know, and that was second one. Some, he didn't have a chance. Yeah. Exactly. And that's why I don't think it was so much about uh, a mental type deal. You know, I don't think that was the case at all. I do think again. I as far as passing the ball goes, I I just think he's always been a little. Too antsy Jumpy. in the pocket, yeah. Okay. So, I don't think that's a, a thing that maybe showed itself, you know, yet or on Saturday for the first time. I don't think that's a new thing. And, and again, he was still 19 for 29. I think the thing is, is the some of the ones he missed were very makeable throws, I guess, is where the issue may have lied. And that's where, where I said, you know, you wondered while the game was going on if if he was 100% healthy i mean yeah nico collins wa- was going to walk in in overtime for a touchdown i mean the ball was was 4 or 5 feet over his head you know and, and it's just uh usually the type of throw that he can make that throw he's, he's made that throw so mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't i don't i don't think it was anything mental i don't think it's like a yips or a you know that type of deal at all i, I think yeah. i think i just don't think he's 100%
0: Fair enough. Oh, Fair enough. Only By the after, way,
1: only after listening to Gaddis, though, like I said, because after when yeah. Harbaugh said he was hundred, that's when the questions kind of started to go around in my mind, like, okay, well, that's kind of odd, you know. But with Gaddis kind of clarifying it, I think that's why it's important that he met with the media today, at least for our
0: clarification on it. Right. Right. One thing to note too is Gaddis also said he saw seven drops in this game. Uh, he's a receivers coach, so I, I'm inclined to think that he's not making that number up, I'm inclined to think that he actually saw that many. If there are only 10 incomplete or 11 incompletions and there were seven drops, that's 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 notable to keep in mind too and there have been there were drops in week 1 as well. Next question, should Josh Uche play every down? Today Don Brown spoke very glowingly of Uche and said he came up to Josh today or Saturday and said, "You're going to we're going to find out if you're an every down player today." And I felt like he did a really nice job. Uh, I, I don't know if there, if a fan would have asked this question, but this is something I'm wondering. I think I'm inclined to think maybe he should be. I think he's part of that, that top 11. And I think that's I think this, that, it's a little bit more old school, but you, know, you used to have coordinators come up with a list of who were their 11 best players in practice in a given week. And you try your best to get those 11 on the field as much as you can because that's who's trending up. That's who's, That's who's hitting their stride. I mean Josh Uche looks like someone that's really hard to take off the field and and for him to to read the what what army was doing as well as he did and and break through as well as he did and and stop the run that's never been a strength of Uche. He had 8 tackles on Saturday. He had 15 tackles all of last season. I feel like he's ready for maybe not every you know obviously they're going to rotate. But I I'm, I I think he's ready to be an every down player in the same sense that All these defensive front players are. He doesn't have to be a specialty player anymore. And uh, I think, really looking at, I start to wonder: could he? Could you bump Quiddy Pay inside? I know we've talked about that for for a cheetah package, for a pass rushing package, but maybe maybe you try to do that more, knowing that defensive interior depth is not the strong suit for the Wolverines right now. I I think he's ready for for a lot more action
1: as the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, 100%. I just don't really think there's much more to say on that. I mean, he's easily one of their best athletes to begin with, but his ascension has kind of just continued. His progress has continued. You know, like you said, for him to showcase what he did in the running game was important from that regard. So it's it's clear he answered whatever Don Brown wanted from him. So I assume that means that they'll probably look at him and want to, want him on the field more because he's, he's disruptive. I mean, he's a guy that can cause you issues in a wide variety of ways at this point. So, yeah, no doubt to me that they need to get him on the field a little bit more, uh, if not a lot more. And whether, yeah, mm-hmm. whether they do slide somebody else inside, which, again, I think they could in certain instances, um, or they stand him up. You know, I just I think he is showing that he is capable, you know, and again, this is really kind of the progression that Michigan expected when they recruited him. You know, not a year one guy, a guy that would get better and better as he learned the game and, and learn how to utilize his his assets to the fullest. And, and he's starting to do that. And he's really becoming a really he's really an important player for them right now. Well, one of their most important players, in my opinion.
0: Next question is one I I was gonna ask Josh Gaddis, they ran out of time and, and took him off to his meetings, which is fine. But how is how should Michigan ideally distribute its running back snaps and carries? You know, this this is something that I, I wrote about on Saturday. Zach Charbonnet looks like a star. Certainly looks like someone Michigan uh can, can lean on for really the next three years. But Michigan wants more from its backups, and I, th- I think Michigan fans do too. You know van Summerin fumbling on his only carry of the game. Christian Turner looking looking solid as a runner, but really putting Shea Patterson in danger with what I I felt from the from up up high. Now, granted, I I see the field field differently, than Turner does a very very obvious premeditated, completely planned corner blitz from a corner who often blitzes anyways. I think he had eight tackles for loss last year. I've, you know, what do you what do you do with the backups and True Wilson? Uh, you know, I know we reported on Thursday, I believe, that he might be out for two weeks, maybe maybe a third week. I guess Steve, if you're if you're Jay Harbaugh or if you're the offensive staff, what are you doing in these next two weeks? Are you are you sticking with the hierarchy you have? Are you letting Charbonnet know that he's going to get a you know? The, A bigger, bigger share of the meaningful carries than what was expected. Are you maybe converting someone from another position? What's what's your approach, and then what's the ideal distribution for Michigan given what you've seen?
1: Uh, I don't think it's as that dire. Just for the one, here's the one thing that we're forgetting. I think, or unless I didn't hear you mention him, but uh, when True Wilson comes back, I mean, I think he becomes important because really the reason he had separated himself in the beginning is because he's a he's a capable pass protector right so mm-hmm. you have you have two backs when healthy who are capable pass protectors or have shown they are in charbonnet and 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 wilson and then i still think you have to mix turner in there in packages because he is he's a very he's effective an effective runner i thought he had a really mm-hmm. good game running the ball and so I think you, there's a room for a guy like that, on, you know, to, to still get ample playing time. And, and again, second year guy, I agree though, the the whiff on the, the first uh, or on the second fumble was, that was really bad. I mean, that was not good. And that you want to, that you don't want to see that. Um, so again, so there's going to be a learning curve there for him a little bit, maybe taking a little bit longer than the coaches are probably wanting. Um, but I think, you know, between Wilson, a healthy Wilson, and Charbonnet, you'll have two backs that can protect the quarterback amply. And and then I still think you mix Turner in there a little bit. You know, I don't know how many snaps Ben Mason played on Saturday. We don't get the snap counts anymore. But right. I, st- I still think there needs to be a role for him offensively. Mm, and okay. I just think about how effective he is or was you know running the football It doesn't have to be i mean i'm just i'm i'm talking like short yardage like what he's good at you know and and again but i, I that's why i said i don't know how many snaps he played on saturday if he played a ton of snaps then i can see where you don't want to wear the guy out but i still think there's a role for him in certain situations you know and and i don't know what you thought i agree i Clatt and, and gus johnson mentioned this during the the telecast uh you know, when Michigan was down by the goal line. Now, granted, they were able to punch the ball in when they got down there, but was surprised to see nothing from under center, you know. Yeah, in, in that's the a real big shor- question. In yeah. the real short yardage situations. And that's like I said, that's where, like, you know, here's the thing about, you know, you talk about last year's offense and that they needed to change. There were some aspects of that offense last year that were really, really good. And one of them I thought was. In mo- the only problem that became with the short yardage stuff is that it became too predictable in certain points. But there, there were plenty of instances where them lining guys up face-to-face, give Mason, you know, as sort of the eye-back type guy, give him the ball, let him get downhill a little bit, that it was really effective, you know. And so, I don't know. Um, but as far as the, s- the current situation, yeah, I think I think you have two capable backs and it, it, we probably we're thinking that Wilson will be back for Wisconsin. Correct. So I think it's uncertain.
0: OK, well, I think it could be either either or.
1: Well, if, it, if he's not 100 percent and he's or he's not able to go, I, I don't know how you it's going to have to be. Charbonnet is going to have to be the guy to lead the way. I mean, there's really no other choice yeah. at that point. So, and again, I don't know what I don't know how you disperse it because you don't want to get into a situation where when the when Turner comes in that you know you're not going to throw the ball,
0: right? You know, because you don't want to run Charbonnet to the ground either, right? No, I know. So
1: there is there is a challenge there. I think, but I I guess what I'm getting at is I think that they're hope they're waiting they're they're wanting True Wilson to get become healthy again because he's another guy that's capable of helping protect the passer. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, regarding Wilson, I think they're gonna reevaluate. I think each Monday is the evaluation day, kind of, or the you know if if you're really close, they'll reevaluate, of course. But like that's kind of the the check in. So we'll we'll have a better sense in a week uh, what Wilson's status is. Uh, let's see. How would you grade Josh Gaddis's play calling so far? So this can this can encompass a few things. One, uh, on Saturday. When they were trailing or not, not not leading in the second half, they ran the ball twenty seven times. They passed it fourteen times. Their twenty seven runs went for two point three yards per carry. Their fourteen passes uh, netted about seven and a half yards per attempt. That seems to be that seemed a little bit more like last season when they were running inefficiently, passing efficiently, but they were running twice as much as they were passing. Uh, you know, there's other elements. You know, against Middle Tennessee, it seemed like they were toying with a bunch of different things. Some worked, some didn't. I don't feel I don't have too many uh, points of consternation about that first game because I think they were just trying things out and seeing what seeing what the team could do. Uh, But but you did get to see Michigan had a couple drives with the game on the line, and sometimes the you know sometimes things worked, sometimes they didn't uh you can also argue that the going for it on fourth down a couple times was on was on Gaddis um or at least falls on Gaddis if he's calling the plays I, what do you think of Josh Gaddis's play calling so far cuz one thing to keep in mind you know we talk about oh the offensive tackles they're freshmen or oh the running backs are freshmen or oh you know you've got freshmen redshirt freshmen here redshirt freshmen there in theory they have a freshman offensive coordinator cuz he's never done it and he's never called plays uh, not too often a top ten team has a person who is n- literally never called a play before. Uh, so what do you what do you think, Steve? You don't have to give a letter grade, but but how would you assess his play calling so far?
1: Uh, I think it's sort of your classic, not as bad as the detractors would say, but probably maybe not as good as the most ardent defenders would say. They have had some drops, right? I mean, Collins dropped a pass. Black dropped a couple. Black mm-hmm. dropped a touchdown. Uh, Bell, we obviously remember Bell's struggles against Middle Tennessee State. Yeah. Um, and then and then the fumbling issue too. I mean, there there's been a lot of what I would say are non-coaching related mistakes for Michigan offensively early on. And then again, you, I, I keep going back to the the read uh, option plays. You know where. Are we criticizing Josh Gaddis if Patterson rushes for 75 yards and keeps, like, three of those five
0: reads, you know? Um, well, they probably win by 10 points. And- right. You know, so that's yeah. what I'm saying.
1: It's like it just – I don't know if if it's a player issue or they're not – you know, I don't know. But overall, I, I just – I don't think it's has been as bad as the detractors would say. I, I just uh, think they relied a little bit too much on the run – on Saturday, I think they could have thrown the ball a little bit more. I do think it's a little bit of a mystery that, you know, guys like Collins didn't get nearly enough targets, in my opinion, against – you know, he's talented enough, and I think I tweeted this during the game, uh, where they could have – there were times you could see the mismatch there. It Just sort of treat it like Braylon Edwards and, and just throw the ball up, you know, because he's going to have a better – he's going to be able to out-athletic The guys that Army had out there on the outside, and uh, so I didn't think there was enough of that. I guess would be the one one of the major things. You know, this is the other thing too. Going to be really interesting to see when People's Jones gets back, like how what change if there if there's if there are things that they're holding back on or not holding back on purpose necessarily, but things that Donovan brings to the table that maybe they don't feel like they have without him you know, to see if maybe the playbook will open up even more when he's 100% and back on the field. So, um, again, overall, I don't know. It's it's maybe slightly underwhelming, I guess, but it, it's not as – I don't really think the play calling is the primary reason why Michigan's offense has maybe disappointed at this point.
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I, I You know, there have been questions. Who's to blame for the offense? One, probably a little early to be pointing – wanting to assess blame. A crime hasn't been committed, so to speak. You know, it's can't can't put anyone under trial if if they haven't lost yet. Uh but that yeah, I think some of it's Gaddis. Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit of everything. You know, there is a lack of execution, but also Yeah, Nico Collins should not have four catches through two games. How many times in fall camp did you hear from someone close to the program or someone who's seen practices that Collins is like kind of the star of the team, not the star of the team, but maybe, maybe right up there. And he had 600 over 600 yards receiving last year and in, in kind of a secondary surprise role. And the the player ahead of him is currently injured. Yeah. Why is he not, why is it not first and 10? Let's see if we can find Collins on a post <laughs> or, or find Collins 30 yards down the field um, I don't have an all twenty-two. I don't necessarily watch the receiver. I, I can't tell how open he is or how not open he is. But I like to think, you know, against against someone like Army, does he not win seventy to seventy-five percent of the fifty-fifty balls that they throw in his direction? I mean, his he's got an eighty-three-inch wingspan. He can jump. He can run. He's six-four. He's two twenty-five. I mean, he's he's as big as some of the linebackers Michigan has faced so far. So that's that's one thing that stands out to me uh, as far as his play calling I almost I mean you can't really fully grade it certainly not an A I think I think his his justification behind running the ball a lot in the second half that he gave us at the press conference today that he didn't want to give army a chance to run the clock. like it was kind of a weird I thought it was an underwhelming yeah, response. I agree. Like he wanted to run the clock out. Why do you want to run the clock out? Why don't you want to just win the game? Kind of a mm, not I agree. didn't didn't quite logically add up to me and I don't you know I think it's I think people look read way too much into press conference quotes. I know I I write about them for a living, but I think sometimes people just say the thing that they, you know, they might have wanted to blame a player or wanted to say, well this they totally guessed us out on this, you know. There, there's little things, but yeah, it was not a not a great answer. Uh, and I I do think they ran the ball too much in the second half, and I think they did the same thing against Northwestern. But the thing is, 2018 they changed all of their offensive play callers because games like that were not working. Anyway, uh, I don't have an exact grade, but kind of I'd say so-so. Maybe if I were doing an adjective. So so with some some very encouraging elements, but then some things where you wonder, okay, is this actually a different enough offense to to get it done? Uh, question for another day. Next one, uh, what do you think of Michigan's kicker rotation? And then what do you make of them choosing to go for it on fourth and and three? Uh, yeah, there there actually is a chart out there. I, I'm, I might be able to post it. Maybe I'll post it in the comments of this podcast. But uh, the chart, di- there is the chart that I saw di- does technically say to go for it in the distance lead. Uh, you know, down in distance. What's what? How much times left? Things like that. I still think a 36 yard field goal when you have two kickers that you believe are some of the best kickers in the country. Just just kick it, man. Just take the lead. I, I that 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 was kind of bizarre. You know, I, I understand the allure of well, if you get a touchdown, then you basically seal a win. But yeah, I think I think that's time to kick it under forty, under forty in a tie game. I think you go for the kick. Um, you know, especially knowing that if Army gets the ball, you might not get it back. And so, see, so yeah, I felt like uh, I didn't think that. I don't quite understand Harbaugh's rotation. It doesn't seem to add up. I don't think that they're actually. You know, it makes me wonder how much of it's a rotation and how much of it's them deciding how high of a leverage situation it is. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to tell without having been able to talk to either kicker. Steve, what do you think of that? Do you, is it is it damaging knowing that kickers are kind of a mental. It's a mental area. Do you do you like that they're rotating, but like also not rotating? Because I think it was Nordine's turn to kick a field goal in double overtime. But they put Moody out there. I don't know. What is, do you is, think? Is it dictated that it's
1: a literally every other kick? My assumption was they went with Nordine because it was a fifty five
0: yarder. He's got the bigger boot. Apparently it's every other kick. Huh. But but I the don't like extra that. points that... count as one third of a field goal. Well, so if you kick three extra points, then it's the other it... it's that literal. <laughs> Are you is this a real thing? This is what he's on record saying. I don't think that it's actually that literal. I think it is situational, but, but Harbaugh yeah. insists that there's a there's a system in place here.
1: Oh, that okay. I mean, if that's if that's a real thing, you're talking about the extra point is one third like that. None of that that doesn't make any sense. I mean, I think it should be situational. All the way. that was my 100% assumption when I saw Nordine take the field is that it was a 55 yarder. They went with him because he's got a. You know, he's much more known for not that Moody's not capable of hitting one from 55, but nordine has got, you know, a really big boot. I mean, that's really what made him such a highly regarded prospect coming out of high school. So um, I'm okay with it as long as like, again, I think as long as you're playing to each guy's strength and, and that's what it is. I mean, I think in the same situation you'd do it again. Because, again, yes, Nordine has a big boot, but it's still not easy to hit from 55. It doesn't matter no, if you – No, no, it's right? Yeah. So, like, him missing to me isn't some indicative thing that he's, you know, that he's struggling or that this is going to be a – this is a failure, you know, because a 55-yard field goal is, is difficult no matter what, you know. Um, so, I think as long as – yeah, as long as they're playing to the, each – respective players strengths, then I don't really see a problem with it. I am not sure about this whole, uh, like one. So here's third,
0: what like, the official quote is on the rotation, Jake okay. and Quinn. So each of them knew that if there was a drive, who would be making the kick or the extra point through one little caveat in, in there, is that if the field goal kickers turn to kick the field goal on that drive, he'd also kick the extra point. So they're rotating each drive. Apparently, uh, um,
1: that's just still so not, that not d- each that kick. Doesn't make sense either way though. Like, uh, it it should be, I guess. Tell me if I'm wrong. That's the way I, the way I look at these two kickers is. I look at Moody as maybe being the slightly steadier option, not maybe the steadier option. You know, who who you're going to maybe 40 yards within, you're going to go with him every single time, and that with Nordine, when there's a little bit more distance there, that he'd be the guy that you would bring in. I mean that that's how I would approach it, but I, I was just like, I don't know. Um, in this again. For all we know, this could be a way that they're kind of just continuing the competition throughout the season. See if somebody takes the reins with, however they set it up, and and right. I know, think maybe that's what then, it is really right. Maybe they stick with, and they're trying to find a guy to stick with. But yeah, like rotating by drive. It's like I don't know. I don't, I'm not a big fan of. Um, it's there's too many scenarios I mean, there's just too many scenarios. Uh, like you're telling me if it. Like, you know, if Moody kicked the last field goal and then it's the next opportunity is a 58-yarder to, like, tie or win the game, you're telling me that they would go with Moody? Or that Nordine. you know what I mean? If Nordine kicked the last one, I guess, from, like, 38, and then the next one's, like, a 57-yarder, you know, you're going to go with... You'd have to go with Nordine again, wouldn't you? So it's like, I just... None of that makes any sense to me. So it's kind of odd.
0: All right. Yep. No, I'm with you. It's bizarre. I, I... I think they I don't know if there's a benefit to them saying it's a rotation. They could just say, We're gonna to try to have them both kick, but we're gonna go situation. Um, maybe they don't want to pigeonhole. Brandon Cornblue, by the way, who's worked with both kickers extensively, said that he thinks they're more similar than they are different. Uh he thinks Moody's got a bigger leg than people realize and Nordine's a little bit more steady than people realize. I believe he's a career seventy five percent kicker, which is a little bit you probably at Michigan you probably want him to be around eighty, so a little bit below that clip, but also, you know, maybe he's different this season. Um, let's see, short yardage rushing. Should they should they go under center? I think we kind of discussed that. We I think we we both say yes. Even if it's not every time, sometimes you just need two yards and you have the strength and you have the size to get it with your interior lineman. Uh, I think you you could definitely go under center. I don't know if there was more you wanted to discuss there. Um, no,
1: that's that's yeah. to
0: me. It's pretty clear. It's got
1: to be in the. How, how much of a playbook do you need to run? To just you know, some, push hard and go yeah, two yards. Yeah, <laughs> really though, you know. So yeah, in that in that regard, I I completely agree. It should always be something that's there as as a potential play if you need it. You know, if you again, just like anything else, if you think it's the most optimal play in a given scenario, then you know it's it's a unit who returns almost everybody that you know that they're capable of doing it. You know, I don't know why you can't – again, you don't have to rely on it. Just in certain instances, it, it may be the best chance for you to either get that first down or whatever you're trying to do. Uh, yeah, no,
0: 100%. Yeah, if you have the size advantage that Michigan will have most of this season, just go power, add the blockers, get your two yards. I mean, I saw even even Sam Ellinger was just – Pushing basically his center, hanging onto the ball and pushing his, you know, two yards should not be something Michigan's Michigan can't get. They shouldn't be going into third and fourth down on goal to go situations uh, to score. Anyway, uh, last one: How many viable defensive line players are there in the two deep, and what can Michigan do to improve it? So I actually thought Don Brown had an interesting point today that I I had briefly considered. Uh, but he mentioned Donovan Jeter; he could play on Saturday, but it just wasn't optimal given his his style of defensive line. Well, didn't really play into what um, Army does offensively. You know, I know they did a lot of three-four fronts on Saturday. That was a big question. Even Don Brown's kid I called him on Sunday and asked him why they were doing so many three-four fronts. Uh, so I think they've got, I think they've got Jeter. I think they've got Kemp. I think you think Mason's fine. Sounds like 1-4. They're still trying to figure out how to get him on the field. He's got the he's got the hand injury or arm injury, whatever it is. Maybe two weeks helps with that. Is it time to give Mozzie Smith and Chris Hinton sink or swim moments, knowing that they're three hundred pounds, that they have some of the better strength on that defensive line, some strength and power, and that they they do have high ceilings? Or do you think? The fact that they haven't played yet is a suggestion that maybe they're not as ready as we think. I mean,
1: at some point, right? So that I would mean, give
0: you five instead of
1: three. Did Was Smith on the participation chart on Saturday?
0: Uh, I'd have to check. He didn't participate in a substantial way that I noticed right. live watching I, it.
1: I didn't think so either. I also didn't really feel like we saw a lot of Donovan Jeter either. Um, he played, but it was sparing. It was like right. four or five or six snaps. So, yeah, I mean that's the thing, you know. Is uh, they're going to be playing more and more teams that are going to try to gash them up the middle. I mean, you have the most obvious one coming up with Wisconsin, Iowa. Probably not too much different, right? I mean, Iowa plays a similar style of ball to Wisconsin does. You know, we all know about Michigan State and then really even though Ohio State has always been predicated on speed and athleticism on the edges there really I think the biggest reason they've beaten Michigan so consistently is cuz they consistently win that battle in the middle up front so uh, you're going to have to i mean it's half to as strong but if it's optimal for Michigan to get at least one more guy I think that you can rely on to throw in there, especially if, you know, we don't know what one situation is as far as, is this something that maybe he's going to be dealing with on and off all year, even when he comes back, you know, and and that's puts Michigan in a little bit of a precarious situation in that regard. So, you know, I, I think one or two of those true freshmen. Yeah. Right. I mean, Hinton played, it looked like Hinton played some legit snaps on Saturday. Looked like he got some real playing. He
0: nor Smith are listed on the participation chart. I don't, I don't know if,
1: Oh, Hinton definitely played, so okay. that's, that's kind of okay. odd. So yeah. We're, yeah. I feel like sure. he was in there late, too, if I recall, Um. so that's kind of odd. But anyway, so I, I think we're getting one at least one of those two guys to – and again, this is one of the things I tried – I know I tried to say like before the season when, when people were wondering – it's it's the interior defensive line is a difficult place for a true freshman to – make an immediate, you do not see them very often. There's not every team has an Ed Oliver uh, coming through their door or a Dexter Lawrence or a, um, well, Clemson happened to seem to hit on another one with Tyler Davis this year. So, you know, it's, it's not every, everywhere you go, you know, it's not as easy, at least not instantaneous. Now maybe we'll see somebody develop over the course of the season. And I think that they're going to want somebody to, but you know, I don't know. It's it is it's it's something that we've talked about. I think it's really the common deal. I don't know if they could. They maybe they could match up with Wisconsin running more of a three-four style though. I can see it. You know, Wisconsin likes to run a lot of off tackle type stuff. I mean, but it's hard to it's hard to see them stopping them fully with three down linemen.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's we said it last week. I think that's still the biggest concern on the team from a long-term perspective. I know everyone's panicking a little bit about the offense, and and there's certainly some concerns there. I might do a breakdown later this week of ranking Michigan's biggest concerns heading into this bye week and which ones are fixable. I think the fumbles are fixable. I think the false starts are fixable. Which ones maybe... I mean, they they can't trade for a defensive tackle right now. You know, they got to find somebody from within, and and someone's got to emerge. So anyway... Uh, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Read all of our stuff. We got a lot of, bi- I know it's the bye week, but we got a lot of stuff coming uh, about this past weekend. Maybe some some two-game in-review analysis, some Wisconsin preview content. Should be should be a busy week for both of us, as it always is. Uh, so check it all out at the insider.com michigan.247sports.com. Hope you had fun with this podcast. Hope you learned something. See you next time.